This is the New Jersey Globe Power Hour on Talk Radio 77 WABC. Here's the Globe's Editor-in-Chief, David Wildstein. Good afternoon, everybody. The deadline to get on the ballot for the June 8th Democratic and Republican primary elections has has passed. It was Monday. Uh, there's some challenges that will be argued before judges next week, and, and I'll talk about that later on the show. But we're now full steam ahead for the next vote that comes in 61 days, and that is the New Jersey primary. And then we'll know, supposedly, I guess, sometimes counting moves slowly in New Jersey, but we'll know who's running in November, and that election is just 205 days away. So joining me at 435 will be Jack Chitterelli. He is the presumptive Republican candidate for governor of New Jersey against the incumbent, Phil Murphy. I'm, I'm going to ask him about how New Jersey might be different under Governor Chitterelli. So please don't miss it. And coming up at 420, I'll speak with Isaac Avalusea. He is a young, old-school reporter. And when I say an old-school reporter, I say that in the highest possible uh, means of a compliment, an old-school reporter for the Trentonian. And that is one of the few newspapers in New Jersey that still aggressively covers local news. Isaac's been doing some phenomenal work uh, aiming a spotlight at local officials. You're not going to believe what some of his stories have uncovered. So this segment is one you're not going to want to miss. Uh, this is David Wildstein. I'm the editor of the New Jersey Globe. You're listening to the New Jersey Globe Power Hour. And I want to tell you a story about a small-time player in New Jersey politics that right now has my full attention. His name is Matt O'Donnell, and to be completely honest with you, uh, as closely as I watch New Jersey politics, and I'm in my 48th year keeping an eye on Jersey, I had never heard of this guy until late 2019 when he walked into the sunlight as a state's cooperating witness in an undercover political corruption sting operation that has netted about the lowest level people I've ever seen. And when you talk about these big deal corruption probes, you think about you think about the high profile names. You think about Teapot Dome or Watergate or Abscam. You, you think about Grover Cleveland. You know, Mama, where's my pa gone to the White House? Ha, ha, ha. Uh, you think about Bridgegate. That's the one that I played a role in. Uh, you think about big names, you, about salacious details, uh, scandals that have enormous ramifications that could change the, the course of history. And, and I'm not diminishing the importance of keeping politicians honest, no matter who they are, how how unimportant they may be. But the sting operation being run by New Jersey Attorney General Gabriel Graywell is netting, at, at least so far, at least publicly, some ridiculously small fish. And You've all seen the the scene on a, on a TV show where the the family goes fishing, and at dinner time they cut to the shot of the fire with the frying pan, and inside is a fish that's that's just not bigger, much bigger than a minnow. That's what we're talking about in this Matt O'Donnell caper. But the details of the case are startling, and you're not going to believe how this is going down. And This isn't easy to explain because a Superior Court judge sealed most of the records, the really juicy parts, I I imagine. But I'll tell you what I know. 
Matt O'Donnell is a North Jersey lawyer. He specializes in representing government entities in tax appeal cases. Now, now, what does that mean? Uh, when you think that the town you live in has assessed your house for more than you think it's worth and you want to lower your property taxes, you go before a county tax board and you appeal it. And O'Donnell's the guy hired by the town to challenge you, to squeeze every penny he can out of your wallet to to make sure you pay the highest possible tax. That's what he does for a living. And, and to be clear, there are a lot of very decent lawyers who just that. Matt O'Donnell, as it appears, is in one of them. So as best as I can see and, and as best as I can feel comfortable saying uh, through the court records the New Jersey Globe has obtained, it looks like there was a whistleblower who tipped off law enforcement that O'Donnell was up to something a, a little shady. That much I saw in an FBI investigation memo that we obtained, and, and that happened during the summer of 2017. Later that year, uh, later in 2017, law enforcement contacted O'Donnell, told him he was the target of a criminal investigation. January 2018, O'Donnell's lawyers contact the Attorney General's office, and they say they want to cut a deal. So O'Donnell walks into the AG's office and admits that he used illegal straw donors. That means he was illegally funneling money through other people into political campaigns that he was using cash to obtain lucrative taxpayer-funded legal contracts. This is David Wildstein. I'm talking about an ongoing political scandal on the New Jersey Globe Power Hour on Talk Radio 77 WABC. Uh, Now, I can't tell you word for word what O'Donnell told prosecutors during these first meetings, but I can tell you what the investigators said, he said, because the New Jersey Globe obtained those reports. And this brazen display of how things work might might blow you away, but it shouldn't because it's Jersey and this is how the sausage gets made. Uh, so I'm going to read to you directly from the investigator reports. O'Donnell stated he was it was understood in his line of work that there was a pay-to-play fee of at least $300 expected from politicians to show your support and potentially gain their support of your endeavors. O'Donnell O'Donnell stated by participating in this type of scheme, he was, in fact, able to gain additional government work. And O'Donnell stated that only with some politicians has he committed criminal activity in the past. This one, this one gets me. O'Donnell stated some of the politicians have not explicitly asked him to commit a crime, but rather expected it or implied it, that giving support to politicians is not always clearly shown by the use of straw donors or contributions in cash, but rather the payment of a fundraiser or picking up the tab at the end of an event. And in talking to the prosecutors, O'Donnell said he had 18 New Jersey towns and counties that were his clients. After a series of meetings, O'Donnell makes a deal with the prosecutors. He said he'd plead guilty to one count of conspiracy, misconduct by a corporate official. He'd forfeit $600,000, pay maybe another $400,000 in fines. He would lose his law license. He would face a lifetime ban on holding any type of public employment uh, or profiting off a government entity. Uh, But as part of the plea deal, prosecutors agreed to recommend an eight-year prison sentence. So we're not talking about a shoplifting charge. This is a big deal. Now, now get this. This is this is something I've never seen before. And I'm going to read this directly 
from Matt O'Donnell's plea agreement. It said that O'Donnell would be subject to, and this is a quote, upward revision to account for prospective profits that the defendant derives from illegal activities occurring after the date of this agreement, but in connection with his cooperation. Now, what does that mean? From all appearances, O'Donnell would help prosecutors and snarl politicians by trading money for legal contracts, and O'Donnell and his law firm would continue to prosper. And and as a cooperating witness, someone who's already confessed to a crime, he was allowed to keep his public contracts. And and by one estimate, he billed taxpayers over $4.6 million during the 17 months between his plea agreement and the New Jersey Globe breaking the story that identified him as the cooperating witness. That was the week before Christmas 2019. Uh, as a cooperating witness, O'Donnell has continued to make illegal contributions to candidates and influence elections, this time under the watch of the Attorney General of New Jersey. So there's a big moral question here. Did the Attorney General of New Jersey allow O'Donnell to continue his criminal enterprise? This is David Wildstein. I'm talking about an ongoing political scandal on the New Jersey Globe Power Hour. Now, get this. When O'Donnell walked into the Attorney General's office, he came up with a list of 11 potential targets he thought he could be helpful with. I only know four of the names. Uh, I'm not going to be irresponsible and speculate who the others were, but but this part is unreal. On top of the list of people O'Donnell implicated, uh, the Attorney General's office handed him their own list. It looks like they had their own targets. They want to know if O'Donnell could help them with it. Now, I don't know all the details, and, and I don't know... Uh, I don't know who those people are. I have some ideas, but I don't want to rush to judgment. But at some point, I think there's going to be a little transparency here. So, so, and let me say this. I invited Deputy Attorney General John Nicodemo. He's the lead prosecutor to come on the show with me and discuss the case. But through his spokesman, he declined citing the, the ongoing investigation. So, so we're going to have to see what happens. We're going to have to see if it's appropriate for a long-term public corruption investigation to direct illegal campaign contributions that might affect the outcome of an election. This is messy. At some point, we'll, we'll learn more about it. Coming up, Next is journalist Isaac Avalusea of the Prentonian. He's going to talk about some genuine old-fashioned reporting that's affecting the political landscape in central New Jersey. And at 435, I'll speak with Jack Cittarelli, the Republican candidate for governor of New Jersey. New Jersey, about his campaign to make Phil Murphy a one-term governor, so please don't miss that. This is David Wildstein. I'm the editor of the New Jersey Globe, and you're listening to the New Jersey Globe Power Hour on Talk Radio 77 WABC. When it comes to autism, finding the right words can be tough. Finding community in these challenging times doesn't have to be. Join us, even virtually, to move together towards a kinder world for the millions of people on the autism spectrum. Find out how at autismspeaks.org slash together. 
Here is what's happening at Talk Radio 77 WABC. Every Saturday night at 10 p.m. after Cousin Brucie, it's Saturday Night with Tony Orlando. Listen as Tony takes you behind the music. Tony Orlando, a name you'll always remember, a voice you'll never forget. Saturday nights at 10 after Cousin Brucie on Music Radio 77 WABC. And that's what's happening at Talk Radio 77 WABC. Springtime is the right time for a new Mazda at Ramsey Mazda. Warmer weather is here, and if you have that itch to get out of the house and get into a new car, visit Ramsey Mazda and check out the fresh new 2021 Mazda lineup of SUVs and cars, like the new 2021 Mazda CX-5. Edmunds.com rates it near the top of all small SUVs. The new Mazda CX-9 is the three-row SUV that combines sophistication and performance. And then there's the thrill of the Mazda car lineup, Mazda 3. Mazda 6, and Mazda MK5 Miata. You could shop in-store or use Ramsey at home and shop online. Take a safe test drive and take care of all the paperwork at home. You never have to come to the dealership. And thanks to the awesome Mazda lineup and their passionate team of sales and service professionals, they've won 2021 Mazda Dealer of the Year Award in New Jersey for the third time, in-store or online. Experience the excitement of Mazda at Ramsey Mazda on Route 17 or RamseyMazda.com. I always value books and films and good TV. But now, during a pandemic, I appreciate them. I need them more than ever. That's why I read Book and Film Globe. Bookandfilmglobe.com is the smartest, sharpest commentary about what's good and what's um, not good in the worlds of books, movies, and quality TV. This isn't celebrity gossip, and it's not for woke 22-year-olds. It's just smart, clear writing about the best new things to watch and read. Interviews with directors, concise reviews of hot new books, Actors describing classic scenes. It's all on bookandfilmglobe.com. And there are three Rotten Tomatoes certified reviewers, so you know you're getting good advice. Check out Book and Film Globe. That's bookandfilmglobe.com. The New Jersey Globe Power Hour is on. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Welcome back. It's David Wildston. I'm the editor of the New Jersey Globe. Isaac Avalusse is a reporter for the Trentoni. It's a daily newspaper that covers New Jersey's capital city region. Isaac, how are you? I'm well, Dave. Thanks for having me on today. Thank you. Thank you for coming on. You've been doing some extraordinary journalism in Trenton and in Mercer County. I'm, I'm sure there's some people who don't like what you write, but uh, they're not supposed to like it, right? I mean, if you're, if you're doing your job. Yeah, you know what? I think that uh, when we were covering Kelly Yady, the ex-Republican mayor there in Hamilton, a lot of people, the criticism was that the, uh, the uh, Trentonian was a, uh, a Democratic-leaning uh, uh, newspaper, which I found interesting. And I'm sure now that uh, some of the coverage has been about the county executive, Mercer County Executive Brian Hughes, there's a lot of people that are probably saying, oh, the Trentonian is a Republican rag, so... Uh, we're not partisan. We'll cover Democrats. We'll, put, we'll cover Republicans, independents. Uh, parties protect politicians. Newspapers expose politicians. So, so tell me about you talked about the county executive, and that's been that's been the focus of your coverage over over the last couple of weeks. Tell me tell me what you found out. So it kind of started organically with a tip that uh, 
Mr. Hughes had had some driving issues, and uh, over the course of a few weeks, I'd been looking into it, and then uh, I had a source, uh, a very connected source, that uh, leaked to me a police report that showed Mr. Hughes had an encounter with Pennsylvania State Police on June 1st, 2020. And during that encounter, Mr. Hughes had abandoned a county-owned vehicle along the turnpike outside of Lawn, Pennsylvania, which is about 20 uh, miles southeast of, of the capital of Harrisburg. Uh, the trooper, uh, James Fastnock, had actually encountered Mr. Hughes outside of a lawn service plaza. And during that encounter, Mr. Hughes had explained to the trooper that he had ran out of gas. That's why he abandoned the uh, uh, vehicle along the side of the turnpike. But the trooper noticed there was something off about Mr. Hughes. He appeared very confused uh, during the course of the conversation. He explained to the trooper that he was racing four others in Paris, France. At that point, the uh, trooper's thinking uh, something's off here. Uh, we don't know how, but somehow he gets in contact with Mr. Hughes' wife, Pamela. She explains to him that he has a medical condition that sometimes causes confusion. For whatever reason, there were no sobriety test issued the trooper uh uh let mr hughes uh, uh go to the hospital called in some paramedics they say he has a regular heartbeat they transfer him to hershey medical center the trooper gets a hold of uh mr hughes's chief of staff kelly ganges and arranges to have the car parked at the lawn service plaza and mr ganges and uh mr aaron watson who's the dot director and kind of a uh, uh, holds a lot of hats in the county. They come and pick up Mr. Hughes' vehicle, and that's kind of how that started. That kicked off some of the reporting. And the county executive, I think we should probably say it. He's he's had some health issues, and he's been he's been fairly upfront about them over the years. This isn't this isn't something new. Correct. Uh, and when I when I talked to Mr. Hughes, he explained that this was a medical episode that he had a uh, adverse reaction to. Uh, trilepidol. It's a prescription that he's been on, according to him, at least a, de- a decade for uh, to treat uh, trigeminal neuralgia, which is a facial uh, shooting facial pain. It's a rare nerve disorder that he's dealt with very publicly. I will say that he he has discussed this publicly, and this is what he attributed this incident to. So, what happens now? I mean, the county executive's got two more years left in his term. What 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 do you foresee happening there? Uh, you know what? I think that uh, what, what our reporting has really showed is that this is a, a pattern of behavior because Mr. Hughes had a couple incidents before that 2020 uh, incident with Pennsylvania State Police, which is now being uh, investigated and turned into by Pennsylvania State Police to determine whether the trooper gave Mr. Hughes any sort of preferential treatment. Obviously, Mr. Hughes is a very prominent power broker, Democratic power broker, and Mercer County, uh, we have no reason to know at this point whether the trooper knew Mr. Hughes was at this point. But there's some very curious questions of how it all played out. How did the trooper, if Mr. Hughes is out of his mind, doesn't know where he's at, thinks he's in Paris, France, how did he get a hold of Pamela's number? How did he get a hold of Mr. Gaines's number? Uh, I think Mr. Hughes is, is in a little bit of trouble politically. Uh, the Republicans have been nobody uh, for a long time in Mercer County, but I think really what Mr. Hughes could potentially face is an inter-party challenge. And so one of the stories you've, you've written, and I mean, it, it, it caught everybody's attention, was, was about the county losing money in, a, in, a, in, a, in an Internet scam. Tell me, tell me what that story was. Yeah, I, to me, honestly, that's almost more embarrassing for the Hughes administration than some of these issues with the driving, because... 
you know, there's no uh, dispositive proof to suggest that Mr. Hughes was anything but having a medical episode at this juncture in the three instances, although two of them he's in an altered mind state and, you know, there's a lot of speculation. But really the $660,000 that was stolen by a couple Nigerian nationals, it was part of this really international dragnet uh, DOG investigation that came out. And the Hughes administration kept it quiet for more than two years. And what's really troubling about this is that if not but for a very valiant whistleblower, the media, even as a media that tries to watchdog Mercer County, Trenton, and the Trenton area as well as we do, and i got to give a shout-out to my colleague, Suleiman. i got to give a shout-out to my, my boss, uh, uh, John Barry and Jeff Edelstein. We really try to watchdog, but this story was not going to come out if not but for that whistleblower because it originated out of Atlanta, Georgia. And I think it's fair to say that the Hughes administration was uh, happy to not say anything about it until we started asking questions two years later. And when we started asking questions, they confirmed, yes, $660,000 was stolen, but there's a lot of questions that still remain about what county commissioners knew when and uh, at what moment they knew it. And I, I believe I read this in your story. There was an insurance policy the county had, right? They That kicked in and, and made the taxpayers whole. Was that all of it or just some of it? Uh, I, I believe it was a, a little bit more than $120,000. I believe they were able to recover the vast majority of the funds because uh, the feds got notified and they were able to freeze uh, a bank account that the monies were transferred to. And then the county insurance kicked in the rest and made the taxpayers whole. But really what we're talking about is while the taxpayers may be made whole, they weren't let know about it until our report came out. And I I find that troubling because if you're talking about good governance, if you're talking about transparency and accountability, the argument that can be made, the county was a victim in this case. So if you're a victim, then Talk about your victimhood. Say, put out a release, notify the media, notify the public. Hey, look, there's $660,000 missing. This is what happened. This is what we're doing to retrieve the funds. Um, This is where we're at. Don't hide it for two years. Uh, Be happy to say nothing about it. And then uh, act like you didn't do anything wrong when the media starts asking questions about it and say, why didn't you tell tell the public about this sooner? So Mercer County, as you mentioned, it's a one-party county. Republicans, not really a factor. They haven't won elections there for, you know, decades. So the only watchdog is you and, and your newspaper. What what happens in other parts of the state where it's it's also one-party control and the daily newspapers are, are no longer covering local government? What Who's who's there to shed some, some sunlight on what's happening? Look, Dave, I think that... I can only really speak for Mercer County. Um, um, But what I will say is that look at how long that story took to come out. Now, if you had more robust media coverage from both newspapers, and I'm including us in that, right, because we're really a skeleton crew at this point, and it's really a travesty because you had a point in time where the Trentonian and the Times of Trent really traded blows, scoop for scoop, uh, you know, the Trentonians, I remember. I remember. Uh, you know, motto is always ahead of the times. And so if you take Trenton as a microcosm of the devastation that has been laid 
in journalism in general, what you have is less and less watchdog journalism on a consistent basis. And while we do our best, I will admit, I don't think our best is good enough for our coverage areas. Readers deserve more. Uh, the public deserves more. The accountability measure that the media is responsible for can't be executed to its fullest unless you have staff. And that's really the travesty of this, uh, uh, of kind of this story. It's like no way this would have taken two years to come out if there was more robust media coverage in Trenton. And I think that you can use that and jump off as an example of what may be happening in other communities elsewhere that don't even have the coverage that Trenton has. Understood. And I, you know, I, uh, this, this went, this, we sailed by in this, but, but Isaac Avalusse of the Trentonian, thank you for coming on and, and, you know, for, for all, on behalf of all journalists, keep up the good work. This is, it's important work that you're doing. Thank you, Dave. Appreciate Thank it. Thank you, and talk to you soon. And, and don't go away. I'll be back with Jack Chitterelli, a Republican candidate for governor of New Jersey, and you will not want to miss anything he has to say about his upcoming race, uh, uh, probably against Governor Phil Murphy in the fall. This is David Wildstein. I'm the editor of the New Jersey Globe, and you're listening to the New Jersey Globe Power Hour on Talk Radio 77 WABC. <laughs> Old school, classic, punk, indie, 80s, 90s, whatever. If it's got passion and a backbeat, I want to hear it. And I want to know more about the artists who create it. That's why I read Rock and Roll Globe. Rockandrollglobe.com features the sharpest takes about what's good and what's um, not so good in music. They call it real writing about real music. It's not for woke 22-year-olds. It's just crisp, surprising insight into music of all kinds, interviews with performers, concise reviews of hot new records, a look back at that great album that changed everything. It's all on rockandrollglobe.com. Check out Rock and Roll Globe. That's rockandrollglobe.com. It's the New Jersey Globe Power Hour on Talk Radio 77 WABC. Welcome back. It's David Wildstein. I'm the editor of the New Jersey Globe. Jack Cittarelli is a, a former assemblyman, former mayor. He's a businessman, probably the Republican nominee for governor in New Jersey this year against the incumbent, Phil Murphy. Uh, Mr. Cittarelli, welcome. David, it's great to be back. Uh, thank you for coming on. And, and assemblyman, let me, let me start with this. The last time a Democratic governor ran for re-election, he lost. That was 2009. Uh, and that was the last year the Yankees won the World Series. So is <laughs> is your fate intertwined with how the Yankees do this year? Is this is this as go the Yankees, so goes Chitterelli? Well, David, as a Yankee fan, I wish you wouldn't rub it in. The last <laughs> decade was the first time since the 19-teens that the Yankees didn't win a World Series, which is very painful for me. But it, listen, it's been you and me both. You and years. me both. <laughs> yeah. It's been more than 40 years since any incumbent Democratic governor in New Jersey has been reelected. Not Jim Florio, not Jim McGreevy, not John Corzine. My job is to make sure that Phil Murphy is not reelected either. Okay, and we'll, we'll, you know, I mean, I, I have to stay objective on your race, but, but we're both, we're both have our fingers crossed for the Yankees. So. There you go. They, they lost today 4 nothing. Yeah, uh, yeah, I know. I know. I know. Uh, uh, Assemblyman. 
today the state treasurer issued a, a statement uh, that Moody's Investor Services has upgraded New Jersey's outlook from negative to stable. They cited better uh, expected revenues for the year. Uh, you oppose the, the governor's borrowing plan. What what should the governor do now that that uh, a private rating agency has said that the state's in better shape than people thought it would be? Well, well let's first talk about what he should have done um, before he borrowed, which is what we did uh, 10 years ago at the height of the Great Recession when we had a $5 billion revenue cliff in Trenton. We tightened our belt. We cut expenses. We didn't borrow a dime, didn't raise taxes a penny, and balanced the state budget. This guy decided to do the opposite. He went ahead and borrowed. I sued. I lost before the state Supreme Court. Here's what he should now do with all this cash that he's flush with. He should squirrel it away and retire whatever debt he possibly can early. Now, the debt he issued to balance the budget uh, this past year has, doesn't have a callable feature on it. Shame on him, which means we have to pay that interest in principle for the next 12 to 15 years. But there's other debt that can be retired early. New Jersey has the largest debt in the nation on a per capita basis. Let's squirrel away the money and retire the debt. And uh, I, I know that the, the New Jersey Education Association, the state's largest teachers union, they have they've invited you to appear before a screening uh, for their endorsement. They've endorsed Governor Murphy for the primary. They haven't made a decision on the general. Uh, you you have said you'd go but that you want it to be live-streamed so that every member can see it. What's what's going on with that? Well, David, not to be disagreeable, but they have, in fact, made their endorsement. My goodness, their PAC just sent $4.5 million to the uh, governor's PAC. So come on now. Um, we know what's going on in Trenton. And while I appreciate the invite, and I've always prided myself on going anywhere and everywhere to sit down with everyone and anyone to listen, um, what I've said to them is I'm happy to accept your invitation if we can stream live and allow your members all throughout the state to watch the interview. We haven't heard back from on the, from them on that as yet. I do hope they'll accept my invitation. And also this week, uh, uh, I'm sure you, you read the accounts of the, uh, the Assembly's hearings on the Edna Mann Correctional Facility on these allegations of, of beatings and, and sexual assaults at the women's prison. Are you having... Having heard what Commissioner Marcus Hicks had to say, do you you still think it's time for him to resign? I, I do, David. So the good news is the ombudsman has resigned, but Hicks has not. And if you read Hicks's testimony from those hearings, it's embarrassing. He's talking about implementing a holistic rehabilitation program for inmates, which I think is fantastic. But what we need is holistic management. This guy is in over his head. The Department of Justice over a year ago told us this was a rape camp. They put forth recommendations. He didn't act on any of them. And one year later, we've got another black eye for New Jersey with the revelations of what was going on there. He's got to go. And you you have a a, a Republican primary. I mean, we, we shouldn't we shouldn't make any assumptions. You are the you are the presumptive nominee. You have been since since mid January. Uh, but there's a new candidate in the race. It's a guy I'd never heard of before a couple months ago uh, named Phil Rizzo. And he has now uh, seemingly uh, uh, raised enough money to qualify for matching funds. Do you uh, tell me tell me about your confidence in winning the Republican primary? Well, I appreciate the, 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 the terminology when people say presumptive nominee, but I'm one of these guys, David, that plays like I'm 10 points down with two points to go, no matter how far of a lead I may have amassed. And so 
Listen, I, I challenged Kim Gadonio four years ago. I qualified for the match. I do believe competition makes us better. My focus will continue to be Phil Murphy. At the same time, let me say this. Anybody that's running for governor of New Jersey, I think should be paying property taxes. Based on news accounts this week, it seems as though this particular competitor isn't paying property taxes. And the one other thing I'll remind this competitor is that one out of three New Jerseyans is Catholic. There's some, some tape recordings that have come out of this gentleman's past that seem to be anti-Catholic. That's not the way to bring New Jersey together. That's a tough position to be running as anti-Catholic in New Jersey, if in fact that's, that's the case, isn't it? Of the 50 states in the Union, David, no state has a higher uh, Catholic population on a per capita basis than New Jersey. Now, some some people, and 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 I, I'm among those people, have said that that because you you can't take a primary for granted, that that might force you to be a little bit more conservative than 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 you may want to be publicly as you get ready for the general election. Uh, there are there is a candidate running for the state assembly in Bergen County who is the the director of the Oath Keepers. That's that's a group uh, that that has gotten a lot of attention for for the uh, uh, the insurrection at the U.S. Capitol uh, uh, for uh, for allegations of domestic terrorism. Uh, you said in 2017 you were uncomfortable with some of the language in their positions. Uh, why not distance yourself from this candidate? I, I don't know this candidate uh, personally. I, I've been in his company for only a, a, a very short time on a couple of different occasions. I, I don't know what his ideology is. I don't know what his positions are. I don't know what his value set are. Certainly, if he's anybody that's advocating for terrorism um, uh, or unrest, I would say he needs to remove himself from the ballot. Okay. And will you at some point meet with him and talk to him and clear this up? Well, I think that's the job of Bergen County Republicans, quite frankly, David. It's hard for me to be responsible for every single person that's on the ballot in all 21 counties in the legislative races, county races, and in municipal races. Um, uh, I'm sure the same's not uh, – I understand you asking the question. Um, it's fair game. Uh, but, you know, Phil Murphy's got uh, situations on his side of the aisle where there's people, as I understand, with checkered pass. So, uh, to me, that's the job of the county organizations to screen these candidates. I worry about my candidacy, and I'm focused on Phil Murphy. Okay, and let's let's talk about Phil Murphy. This yesterday, he he was vaccinated for for the first time, uh, and and you've said that you're going to get vaccinated. Tell me, I want to talk more, not just just about you and he, but uh, but about his administration here. How's and we've talked about this before, you and I. How is the governor doing on the rollout of the vaccine? I think it's been a disaster. I mean, at the time uh, when he had only a million doses of the vaccine to hand out, um, he changed the eligibility criteria to open it up to four million New Jerseyans, including smokers of any age. And I got to tell you, a lot of senior citizens, rightfully so, were infuriated with the fact that a 24-year-old smoker can jump in the line before them. Even the leading cardiologist in the nation who headed up the Cleveland Clinic questioned the governor's judgment on that executive order. So, listen, it's been a disaster what his job is, my job, is to secure as many doses of the vaccine as possible, give it to the county governments, which are the only regional service providers in the entire state, and then get the hell out of the way. State government, if you want something screwed up, let state government do it. Our county governments are regional service providers with offices of emergency management, offices of public health. Let them handle the rollout. And I also believe, David, with the J&J vaccine, let's get it in the hands of our community physicians. The governor has totally excluded community frontline physicians in the rollout of this vaccination. 
And I don't understand why. They know their patients. And this is the way we distribute the flu vaccine. Why not get community physicians involved? So so we're going to we're going to be at a point, hopefully, hopefully, where where there's there's a little bit of a return to normalcy after the summer where where everybody, both sides, hoping that the schools are reopened. Uh, I want to ask you about New Jersey transit. So so transit ridership has been down. People have been working from home. Uh what do you anticipate the state of New Jersey transit to be once it returns to normal in September? Well, it will all depend on whether or not businesses return to normal in terms of is it going to be work from home or work from the office? From everything I've read uh, over the, 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 the newspapers this weekend, including the weekend edition of the Wall Street Journal and, uh, and the Times, what they're saying is, is that businesses may not be so quick to reopen again. And so New Jersey transit uh, passenger volume is going to be very dependent on what the business community does in terms of opening up their offices again. And and what about what about I mean, and you and I you and I talk about this you know frequently the Motor Vehicles Commission. Uh, do you do you, have you seen any improvement in their operations? Do you think it's gotten any better since since we last discussed it? Since it since it, it got to its you know its levels of last summer. David, here's the good news: the, the Motor Vehicles uh, Commission has moved a great many uh, things that Motor Vehicles does online, so people can skip the trip. The bad news is it took a pandemic in order for them to do that. That's something I was talking about four years ago. And let's not forget, the Murphy administration had more than two years, two years to make these kind of technological improvements. They didn't do it. Okay, they were 26 months into their administration before the pandemic hit. And now what they're doing is scrambling. So one thing I'm all about with my governorship is making government work for the people instead of people working for the government. And I do believe there's an opportunity to downsize our government and make it much more efficient, user friendly for our citizens with a great many technological advance, advance uh, enhancements. And that same goes in the area of unemployment. We still have people waiting months for their unemployment benefits because of antiquated systems. And New Jersey is about to receive a, a, a lot of money from the federal government. Uh, where do you think that money should go? What do you think Governor Murphy should do with that? I, I think that first and foremost, we've got to provide assistance to the small business community. One out of three small businesses have shut their doors forever because of this governor's handling of the business community and the inconsistency in his executive orders. The notion of you owning a jewelry store on Main Street, he shut you down because you were non-essential, but the jewelry counter at Walmart was allowed to stay open. It was unacceptable and I think unconstitutional. So I think what he has to do is reestablish the business community as best he can with the assistance that he's gotten from the federal government. And that would be the best way to drive down the nation's highest unemployment rate. Get businesses open again. And, and my last question of you, I'm speaking with Jack Chitarelli, the presumptive uh, Republican nominee for governor of New Jersey. This week, former Governor Christie said he's, he's not going to take sides in the primary. Uh, is that a relief to you? Is that something that disappointed you? David, I'm working for every Republican vote out there for this primary and then come the general election, a majority of voters. So what I, the endorsement I worry about is the endorsement of, of the masses that go to the polls on primary day and on election day. And so I, I, if you had to ask me, when Chris Christie closed the curtain behind him on primary day, he's voting for Jack Chitterelli. 
Yeah, and I, 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 you, you, you gave a great answer to that. But uh, Assemblyman Jack Chitarelli, thank you for joining me. It's, it's always a pleasure to talk to you, and we'll talk again soon. I appreciate the opportunity, David. Looking forward to next time. Thank you. And I'll be back with a fantastic story about an allegation of voter fraud that could potentially put a Democratic candidate for governor in the crosshairs of a criminal prosecution. This is David Wildstein, and you are listening to the New Jersey Globe Power Hour on Talk Radio 77 WABC. I always value books and films and good TV, but now during a pandemic, I appreciate them, I need them, more than ever. That's why I read Book and Film Globe. Bookandfilmglobe.com is the smartest, sharpest commentary about what's good and what's um, not good in the worlds of books, movies, and quality TV. This isn't celebrity gossip, and it's not for woke 22-year-olds. It's just smart, clear writing about the best new things to watch and read. Interviews with directors... Concise reviews of hot new books, actors describing classic scenes, it's all on bookandfilmglobe.com. And there are three Rotten Tomatoes certified reviewers, so you know you're getting good advice. Check out Book and Film Globe. That's bookandfilmglobe.com. It's the New Jersey Globe Power Hour on Talk Radio 77 WABC. Welcome back, everybody. It's David Wildstein. I'm the editor of the New Jersey Globe. This story is an example of why some people hold New Jersey politically in low esteem. It involves Lisa McCormick. She is a shadowy perennial candidate, and she is challenging Governor Phil Murphy in the Democratic primary. Now, yesterday, alleging the possibility that McCormick submitted fraudulent nominating petitions. The New Jersey Democratic State Committee moved to remove her from the ballot. And they've asked state election officials to refer the case to law enforcement as a potential criminal act. One of the very best Democratic election lawyers in the state, Raj Parikh, he will make his case to remove McCormick from the ballot in front of judges this week. Parikh told election officials, and that an investigation showed that some voters who signed, and now I should point out these are electronically signed petitions, nobody was standing outside the shop, right? But some voters on McCormick's petitions say they never signed them. The New Jersey Globe posted McCormick's petition on our website. Some people have contacted me to say that their name's on it, but they never signed it. I randomly reached out to a few voters on that petition by phone. They said they'd never heard of Lisa McCormick. And there was one man who signed McCormick's petition, uh, at at least as she represented. And Well, I mean, I I don't really think he signed it. And that's because, sadly, because he's dead. It was a, a Livingston man. He died in January at the age of 97. So the, the chances of him actually signing Lisa McCormick's petition, I, I, I think, are fairly low. Now, now get this. And this part, I think, is, is, is a fantastic uh, uh, bit of information. Among the allegations that McC- with McCormick's fraud, uh, fraudulent petitions or the alleged fraudulent petitions is that some of the signers misspelled their own names. They misspelled their own addresses. And, and get this, 85% 
of all the signatures, nearly 2,000 of them, 85% of all the signatures had last names that began with the letters A or B. Uh, I read a tweet last night from Dan Casino, a, a professor at Fairleigh Dickinson University. He's the head of their polling institute, and he called that a fantastic, damning detail. Uh, and I did a little bit of research. I, I found a Wall Street Journal analysis that said that of voters nationally, just 12% of them have names that begin with A or B. So the fact that McCormick's at 85, that's just uh, that's just incredible. So. So either this is a case of blatant voter fraud or or maybe some some rather incredible luck by McCormick, who's who's run a bunch of times for a bunch of offices without success. uh, And and as I've witnessed, has had no apparent regard for the truth. So so let's wait. We're going to see this is going to be really interesting. And and it may not be uh, the free pass that she's had to say and do what she wants uh, anymore. This is David Wildstein, the editor of the New Jersey Globe. You're listening to the New Jersey Globe Power Hour on 77 WABC. Earlier, I spoke with Isaac Avalusay about the importance of local journalism, and, and I hear from listeners that they like the old stories about politics in New Jersey. So here's one I think you'll like. Back in 1974, three months after the Watergate scandal forced Richard Nixon to resign, local coverage of another uh, politician, a Republican congressman named Joseph Marazzini, uh, helped toss him from office in a staunchly Republican district. Uh, the newspapers aimed their coverage at Marazzini, who had uh, used his seat on the House Judiciary Committee to put him on uh, on national television as one of Nixon's greatest defenders. He voted against all three articles of impeachment, and he got bogged down by a scandal. Uh, as the allegations go, and there's no indi- there's there. This really is in allegations that seem to have been proven at the time. He put his 35-year-old girlfriend, her name was Linda, on his congressional payroll in a no-show job while she continued to work at his law office in Morris County. Uh, Linda was outed after she applied for a loan with the House Credit Union, and a staffer in Marazzini's Washington office told the credit union when they called for, for the reference that, that they'd never heard of her. Uh, reporters later found out that the congressman owned the house that Linda lived in. And Marasini was damaged by reports that a uh, a newspaper in Warren County had to fire their managing editor after learning that he was also on Marasini's congressional payroll, a newspaper editor on a government payroll for a no-show job. Uh, later, news broke that the general manager of two North Jersey radio stations. They were they were also on the congressman's staff. So, so that, that, that to me, fairly, fairly incredible. And, uh, uh, and to put some perspective on Marazzini's congressional district, that w- this was then a hugely Republican district. Quite frankly, I think it's a, it would be a hugely Republican district if it existed today, uh, for those of you per- familiar with New Jersey geography, it, it started up in Booton in, in western Morris County. It went through Hunterdon and Sussex and Warren County and then down to part of western Mercer, which back then was staunch Republican territory. Uh, in 1972, Richard Nixon won that district by 70% of the vote. So the Democrats got a 
incredibly strong candidate uh, to run against Marazid. Her name was Helen Stevenson Minor. She was the former first lady of New Jersey. And Minor had run against Marazzini in 72 when it was an open seat race. She lost by 13 points. Uh, she became one of the Watergate babies that year. She defeated Marazzini in this, this incredibly Republican district by 14 percentage points. Uh, and, and she lasted for several years. So, so I think this is, this is, uh, uh, a great example of why local journalism continues to be important and and the loss of local journalism is a uh, is a problem for the entire state and for the nation uh one other thing i want to talk about is that uh in Edison, New Jersey, and people who've listened to the show have heard me speak of this several times, where there was a racist flyer. Uh, there's a, there was a cold case. They, they couldn't solve who was behind the flyer until, uh, 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 until the council itself began to investigate. Uh, what happened there is now the attorney general has opened an investigation. He's impaneled a grand jury. Uh, one of the people who is uh, suspect, suspected of being involved in this is now a Democratic candidate for mayor. His name is Mahesh Bajia. This week, Middlesex County Democrats distanced themselves from Bajia, and they uh, they decided to back somebody else, a councilman, a 31-year-old councilman named Sam Joshi. Quickly, Governor Murphy endorsed him. Bob Menendez, Cory Booker, Frank Pallone, Bonnie Watson-Coleman, Kevin McCabe, Raj Mukherjee, Vin Gopal. Uh, I mean, the party has just just come in and overwhelmingly taken a side against that. So I think that is uh, I think that is hugely important. I think this is a race that is going to be worth watching. This is where where this racist flyer promised to make Edison great again and telling people that uh, the Chinese and the Indians are trying to take over our town. So it's important to watch what the Attorney General does. It's important to watch how this campaign is is conducted. Uh, thank you for joining me today. Uh, it, 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 uh, I thank Jack Chitarelli. I thank Isaac Avalusea. Uh, as always, Kevin Sanders. This is David Wildstein. I'm the editor of the New Jersey Globe, and you have been listening to the New Jersey Globe Power Hour on Talk Radio 77 WABC. Uh, come back next week. I still love rock and roll. Old school, classic, punk, indie, 80s, 90s, whatever. If it's got passion and a backbeat, I want to hear it. And I want to know more about the artists who create it. That's why I read Rock and Roll Globe. Rockandrollglobe.com features the sharpest takes about what's good and what's um, not so good in music. They call it real writing about real music. It's not for woke 22-year-olds. It's just crisp, surprising insight into music of all kinds, interviews with performers, concise reviews of hot new records, a look back at that great album that changed everything. It's all on rockandrollglobe.com. Check out Rock and Roll Globe. That's rockandrollglobe.com. I could hardly wait.